and welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we will be looking at the 1985 film, The Black Cauldron. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film and giving a score to the film. So wash your magical pig, steal a magical sword, and enjoy this episode. You can now go... (laughs) Whenever I... I have to hide Ashley from from seeing these things whenever I write different little things like that. Um, Go listen to our... our, Go listen to to our Jane Eyre episode if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, But also, happy happy 2023, uh, listener. This is the first episode that we're recording. I'm lying. We recorded Jane Eyre, but, but I forgot to mention it in Jane Eyre. This is our first recording session. Yeah, so in, in 2020. We do usually do two to three episodes at a time. Mm. But so. We prep in advance, folks. Yeah. Um, diving mm. right into it The Black Cauldron is a 1985 American animated dark fantasy adventure film and the 25th Disney animated feature film. It is loosely based on the first two books in the Chronicles of Prydain by Lloyd Alexander, a series of five novels that are, in turn, based on Welsh mythology. Set in the mythical land of Prydain during the early Middle Ages... I gotta time us out for a yeah. second. I think I have the first of these books oh, okay. lying on my bedroom floor right now because somebody gave it to me or something with it, but I haven't. Yeah. Because for some reason, Prydain is sticking in my head. I'm going to have to check that out when I get home. Yeah. And then start reading it. Well, they're, they're next on my Audible list of books to listen. Because <laughs> really? I was, yeah, I found it very interesting. And I... No, I, so I, I'm going through my bookshelves to do some clean out because I've owned too many things, guys, and unrelated to this. But I was pulling stuff out because I think I'm going to get like a little library cart and put like my to be read on there because I'm very bad about like visualizing what I need to read on my bookshelves because things just go there mm. so this is one of those things i pulled out and i was actually thinking about donating it to the library because that's what i do with books i don't want and was like no i think somebody gave this to me to read i don't remember who but i'm pretty sure somebody passed it off to me to read but now i'm like what well, yeah. what in the world because like i did not know the two i didn't look any of that up mm-hmm. i usually find all this stuff out for the first time when we're sitting here well, i go in knowledgeless <laughs> Well, now we, now we know. <laughs> Knowledge is power. G.I. Joe. Um, but set in the mythical land of Prydain during the early Middle Ages, the film centers on a wicked emperor king known as the Horned King. Not the Horny King, like Mr. Rochester <laughs> and Jane Eyre. Um, who, who hopes to secure an ancient magical cauldron that will aid him in his desire to conquer the world. He is opposed by a young pig herder, Turan, Princess this is the one that I'm going to Princess Alonwi. 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 The harp-playing bard uh, Fladur Flam and his friendly wild creature named Gurgi, who seek to destroy the cauldron to prevent the Horn King from ruling the world. Disney acquired the film rights to the books in 1973, with production beginning in 1980 to be set for a Christmas 1984 release. During production, it had a severe editing process, particularly for the climactic sequence, which proved to be disturbing to children. The newly appointed Walt Disney Studios chairman, Jeffrey Katzenberg, (laughs) (laughs) I did that for what's-his-name, too, uh, previously. No, but Jeffrey Katzenberg 
ordered those scenes to be cut, fearing that it would alienate children, and as a result, it was delayed to 1985. It was the first Disney animated film to receive a PG rating, as well as the first Disney animated film to feature computer-generated imagery. Interesting. Yeah. The bl- explains the artwork. Yeah. Uh, the, not going to complain about it. I do like the way this movie, but we'll get there. Okay. The Black Cauldron was released in North America on July 24th, 1985. Two days later, the film also was screened at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. The film was distributed theatrically through Buena Vista distribution to mixed reviews, with critics voicing disapproval in its dark nature and disjointed writing, though the animation, soundtrack, and voice acting were praised. Being the most expensive animated film ever made at the time, it was a box office bomb, just grossing $21 million, or $58 million today, against a budget of $44 million, or $122 million today, putting the future of Disney's animation department in jeopardy. Because of its commercial failure, Disney did not release the film on home media in the United States until 1998. It has since gained a cult following. The Black Cauldron was first released on VHS in the United Kingdom in 1997, and in the United States on August 4, 1998, as part of the Walt Disney Masterpiece Collection, 13 years after its theatrical run. The film received a DVD release in 2000 as part of the Walt Disney Gold Classic Collection line, featuring an art gallery, a new game, The Quest for the Black Cauldron, and the 1952 Donald Duck short, Trick or Treat. (laughs) In 2008, Disney announced a special edition DVD release of the film to be released in 2009, but it was re-advertised as the 25th anniversary edition and released on September 14th, 2010, in the United States and United Kingdom. It contained the original 2.35 to 1 anamorphic widescreen transfer, the new Witch's Challenge game, and an unfinished deleted scene, and all the features from the 2000 DVD. In November of 2019, the film was released in 4K for the launch of Disney+. Plus. On March 4th, 2021, the film was finally released on Blu-ray exclusively through Disney Movie Club. Directed by Ted Berman and Richard Rich. Story by Ted Berman, Vance Jerry, Joe Hale, David Jonas, Roy Morita, Richard Rich, Art Stevens, Al Wilson, and Peter Young. Based on The Book of Three and The Black Cauldron by Lloyd Alexander. Produced by Joe Hale. Edited by... James Belton, Jim Coford, Armetta Jackson, and Jeffrey Kattensburg. Music by Elmer Bernstein. Production companies were Walt Disney Pictures, Walt Disney Productions, and Silver Screen Partners. Distributed by Buena Vista Distribution. Running time of 80 minutes. Starring Grant Bardsley as Taryn, Susan Sheridan as Princess Alonwi, Freddie Jones as Dalbin, Nigel Hawthorne as Fluter Flom, Arthur Mallet as King Adelig, John Banner as Gergi and Dolly, Phil Fonadarko as Creeper, John Hurt as the Horned King, John Houston as the narrator. All right. I think I did okay. You did fantastic. <laughs> um, so diving into the plot, uh, this is the first Disney animated feature to use the Walt Disney Productions logo in the opening credits. That. that that classic one that we all grew up with 
or most of the us one grew that up they with. still do yeah well, well they, but, they much more. but they don't do it with that blue screen and the yeah. white castle anymore and everything that really takes me back to my childhood seeing that i agree um this variation would be modified for some later movies but the original music and logo variation played for most of the movies between 1985 and 2006 and i have a note here saying that the music for the logo is actually composed by john derbney who also composed the logo for Touchstone Pictures in 1985 and eventually began scoring Disney film with Hocus Pocus in 1993. And as the film starts, a voiceover explains the legend of the Black Cauldron. Legend has it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it that way, but legend has it that in the mystical land of Perdain, there was once a king so cruel and so evil that even the gods feared him. Since no one could hold him, he was thrown alive into a crucible of molten iron. There, his demonic spirit was captured in the form of a great black cauldron. For uncounted centuries, the black cauldron lay hidden, waiting, while evil men searched for it, knowing whoever possessed it would have the power to resurrect an army of deathless warriors, and with them, rule the world. I just have a question of why we have all these evil kings. Yeah, this world. that was the thing. It's like when it started talking about an, a king so evil and then we have the Horned King. Like, like, like I was like, oh, wait, is it Are like, we not talking about the Horned King? Yeah, is, is it a time travel people? thing? Yeah. Like, is it his son? Like, uh, like, yeah. Weird. But, but on a small farm of Car... Uh, of, yeah. Of Care Dalbin. Thank you. On the, sm on the small farm of Care Dalbin, Turan, a young boy relegated to a life of an assistant uh, pig keeper, longs for joining the war against the evil Horned King and becoming a hero, despite the insistence of Dalbin, his guardian, that war is no game. On a nondescript morning, uh, Henwen, the pig Terran looks after, seems to go crazy. Dalbin explains that Henwen is a magical pig who can create visions using water, which Terran was previously una unaware of. And I have two notes here, the first one being, uh, Hen is the cutest Disney pig, I'm also surprised that I found her cuter than Cat the Cat. <laughs> that yeah, was in the yeah. opening part. His name was Cat. I just love that the pig has met. Like, my immediate reaction was, the pig has powers? Yeah. The pig. <laughs> I have a note about that later <laughs> And then, on. also, like, I just want to say, like, this movie, I immediately was, like, struck by its color palette. Because it's definitely mm. a much darker color paletted film. Which makes sense, given the... Yeah, subject matter well, and one of the lead animators on this was actually tim burton so it's not that surprising when you know that that checks yeah. out yeah um, and uh evidently in his downtime when he was working on this was when he started uh, also writing and drawing um uh halloween not halloween town the uh, nightmare before christmas nightmare before christmas interesting yeah, yeah. no that makes <clears throat> total sense now that yeah. you said that but also uh uh, I just want to say that the cauldron looks really creepy, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it has a face. Didn't like that. Didn't like the cauldron at all. And that the Horned King is very creepy looking, too. I love the Horned King's design. Oh, I love it. I think but he's like, fantastic. I was like, wow, this, we're, this is like a scary kids movie. Yeah. And my other note here is that the geese on the farm look like the ones from the Aristocats. They do. Um, they do. Using Henwin's powers, Dalbin discovers that the Horned King is after the Black Cauldron and that he seeks to capture Henwin and use her to find it. Realizing that Henwin simply cannot fall into the hands of the Horn King, Dalbin orders Turan to leave the farm and take Henwin into hiding. And I have a note here saying, so the spell that Dalbin says before uh, Henwin uses her powers, 
how does one discover their pig has magical powers and the correct spell to use them? <laughs> right? Like, who is Dalvin? Who is this pig? Where did they come from? I don't understand. This movie moves at a rapid pace, and I want to know more about these characters. So yes, I'm... I want more answers. Yeah, I'm glad we... If there's answers in the book, sure. If there's no answers in there, I'm going to be annoyed. Like, where are my answers about Henwin, the magical pig? I think once you get done reading those two books you have, and I listen to the audiobooks... Maybe we pitch a, a Black Cauldron 2 idea, because um, I, I want more answers. The scene then shifts to the Horn King, who plans to resurrect a number of fallen warriors as an army of zombies known as the Cauldron Born, in a uh, plot to capture the Black Cauldron. Meanwhile, Turan starts daydreaming about being a warrior, but is shaken out of it when he sees Henwin is gone. Turan looks for her in the forest, instead encountering a, string, a strange creature named Gurgi, who likes apples. And I wrote a note here saying, I now see where Andy Serkis got his Gollum voice for uh, from. Because if, if you... I was... hate, yeah. Yeah. I hate Gurgi too, by the way. And Gurgi sounds exactly like Gollum it's, from the Lord I, I of the Rings movies. I think that's movies. why Gurgi annoyed me. Yeah. Like, Gurgi immediately was like, well, even his, I hate this character. His, he's, a, he's a Gollum ripoff character. And then Gollum, the actor who plays Gollum ripped... Because he does the same exact things. He calls Turan Master and he... Spoilers, sacrifices himself and die, mm -hmm. dies so that uh, Turan doesn't have to and everything. It, 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 he's a ripoff off Coming up, Gurgi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Alexander ripped this character off of Tolkien, and then the actor in one of the Tolkien movies ripped the voice off to, to, do, to do Gollum. It's full circle. But Gurgi insists on being Turan's friend, but Turan is annoyed by Gurgi's mischievous behavior. You and me both, Karen. You and me both. In the midst of their confrontation, Turan hears a squeal and finds that Henwin is being chased by the Gwynthaints, dragon-like creatures that serve the Horn King. And then I wrote down, aren't dragons that don't breathe fire just wyverns? I, th I thought that's... But here they have their own name. Oh, uh, yeah, you did a Google search? I see. I see your note here. Yeah. Go on. And then I did a, a quick Google search and discovered that in the uh, the books, the Gwynthaints are giant birds of prey. Then like make e them giant birds instead of dragons. Or just say dragons. <clears throat> if you're going to change them, change it for... That's another thing, too, is um, the Nazgul in, Tol in Tolkien are also just giant birds. But in the Lord of the Rings movies, they made them kind of dragon-like creatures, too. So I guess it's a fantasy trope to turn like it's like oh giant birds aren't cool or scary let's make them dragons call them dragons then if you're gonna do that yeah i don't know turan attempts to rescue her but the gwynthaints carry her off which i guess probably the name i didn't look into this but i'm guessing the name gwynthaint comes from something in in wales like welsh culture and everything like that mm -hmm. it's out it's not like i kept yeah. thinking of guinevere from arthurian mm -hmm. legend when i when i saw it but uh, he follows them to the Horn King's dark castle. Determined to save Henwin, Turan heads <laughs> for the castle, but coward, uh, but the cowardly Gurgi elects to remain behind. Because he's a bad friend. Turan, which I do like how he's like, here, here's the apple. That's the only thing you really care about. I know. Like, That's why I was like, good on you, Terry. Get rid of that. <laughs> no. He's a garbage friend. We don't need Gurgi. Yeah. We don't need Gurgi with his stupid voice being annoying the whole time. Spoiler. <laughs> Terran sneaks into the castle and finds his way to the banquet hall filled with the king's partying henchmen, apparently celebrating uh, the capture of the pig. The festivity ends abruptly when the Horn King appears and Creeper, a creature that serves the king, orders Henwen to be brought out. And I have my first note here is, es is es Esmeralda's great-grandmother the, the dancing girl? <laughs> I love you for that. Yeah. But also, I want to say, like, all the designs of those characters, it's not like... 
Disney, you know, animation back then, especially, like, they used to just make everybody look very similar in the background. Like, everybody looks very different from one another in the background of that, like... Yeah, all the henchmen. Yeah, all the henchmen are very distinctly different. Yeah. Like, they're not the same person. Agreed. Um, But yeah, that that dancing girl, like, she was even wearing a similar color palette to Mm -hmm. what Esmeralda... She was just a shorter, heavier, less attractive looking uh, version of Esmeralda, in my opinion. And then I wrote down that the Horn King is awesome, both design and voice acting, and the music for his scenes has been perfect so far. Like every entrance mm-hmm. that he has and everything. Creeper orders the pig to reveal the location of the Black Cauldron, but she refuses. Turan stumbles onto the scene, and the king, realizing Turan is the owner of the pig, orders him to make Henwin reveal the location of the Black Cauldron. Turan refuses, but the king orders for Henwin to be beheaded, and then he relents. Turan ends up spooked by the horn king's appearance and helps henwin escape before being captured uh they should not have escaped i was so annoyed watching this entire scene i'm like y'all didn't think to grab him or the pig like right away there's like 50 henchmen standing there and not a single one does anything and then they escape and i'm like honestly they deserve to escape you're all useless (laughs) thrown into the dungeons taran is left to brood over his failure uh, yeah, the pig was much more important to capture than the boy was. Um, then a piece of floorboard opens and a magical uh, bobble pops out, followed by a princess. She introduces herself as Princess Elonwi, and <laughs> oh, it's the only way I can say it, and is disappointed when she finds out that Turan isn't a warrior. Nevertheless, they team up to escape the castle. And my only note here was that the plot moves fast. I think yeah, that- we're just... This is only like 15 minutes yeah, in at the most. Yeah, we're just going. Yeah. While exploring the dungeon, they share their stories about how they got thrown in the dungeon. Elonwi was captured because the Horn King thought her bobble could tell him where the cauldron was. And like Turan, she was thrown into the dungeon when his plan failed. They come across a burial chamber where Turan obtains a sword. They then enter a room with a minstrel being chained by another henchman. The minstrel... Fl- <laughs> Fluter Flam. Fluter Flam tries to convince the henchman to let him go, but everything that he says is a lie. He is cursed, and every time he lies, one of the strings on his harp snaps. Turan and Elonwi attempt to set him free, but they hear more henchmen coming. They run for it, while Fluter tries to save himself. Turan and Elonwi get separated. Suddenly, Turan runs into a guard wielding an axe. The guard attempts to kill Turan, but before he can strike, Turan pulls out his sword which the sword has a name, and I can't say it. Um, Dermwin. Dermwin. And it and uses it to block the axe. The sword magically damages the axe, and the horrified guard runs away. <laughs> Literally all my notes here. And the sword's magical, too, because more magic. And the sword does all the work. It kind of gives that Arthur like, It does, like, vibe but I'm also it. like... Yeah. Excited over the magic sword, Turan uh, plays with it for a while, but then Elonwi shows up, and they continue onward. They run into more guards, and Turan deflects them with the magic sword. Meanwhile, Fluter has escaped the dungeon, but is being chased by a dog. Turan slows down the guards by slashing some of the wine barrels with the sword. Turan and Elonwi finally make it to the entrance of the castle, only to find that the drawbridge is closed. Creeper and the other henchmen have them cornered, but then Turan uses the sword to cut the chain to the drawbridge, allowing it to fall down. Creeper and the guards stand back in fright while Fluter bowls past them. 
Turan and Elonwi make it past the closing gate, but Fluter barely makes it with his pants being ripped, and together they escape into the forest. Mm-hmm. Back in the castle, Creeper nervously goes to the Horn King's throne room and informs his master of the pigs of the pig keeper's escape. He attempts to choke him he attempts to choke himself as punishment, but is surprised to find out that his master likes the news. If Turan has escaped, he will find the pig, and then they can capture them both again. The king orders him to send out the Gwaithaints to, uh, to follow the boy, which Creeper thankfully does. In the forest, Fluter is singing to the heroes. Not really, it's like two lines. <laughs> and it's the only song in the film, while Ellen Wee is sewing his pants. They are all very thankful that they made it out of the castle alive, but Turan starts to become arrogant and says that he wasn't afraid. He and Ellen Wee get into an argument wherein the princess runs off. Turan storms, uh, Turan storms off in the opposite direction, ignoring Fluter's attempts to make peace. Turan apologizes to her, and she forgives him immediately because they all need to work together to find the cauldron before the Horned King does. It's like barely an apology, but sure. Just then, they hear Fluter yell for help. Turan draws his sword in case of danger, but sheathes it when he finds out that Fluter's assistant is none other than Gurgi. After an argument, Gurgi reveals that he knows where Henwin is, and the others follow him. They come to an enchanted whirlpool and are sucked down. They find themselves in an underground universe populated by pixies, which are ruled by the kindly King Elderleg. He does not like humans in his home. The whirlpool, maintained by the bad-tempered court workman Dolly, is supposed to keep them out. Nevertheless, he helps them. He knows where the Black Cauldron is and instructs Dolly to take them to Mova, the land where it is hidden. He also has Henwin, and she and Turan are reunited. But Turan is afraid to t- uh, to take her to Mova. Uh, or excuse me. Yeah, Turan is afraid to take her to Mova, and the king says that he will send her back to Dolbin's farm. He then conjures up a, uh, magical clouds to transport Dolly and the travelers to. Mova. And I have a little note here that I found out in the trivia and went back to double check, but Tinkerbell has a brief silent cameo with the Fair Folk. Oh. She's floating right in between Turan and Eloi. Like there's a bunch of them around them and mm-hmm. she's right in the middle. Ah. And But she kind of looks a little bit different because they made her bangs in the front much more prolonged. Yeah, yeah. yeah pronounced prolonged, whatever you want to say. The cauldron, it turns out, is in a cottage governed by three witches which I'm skipping right over their names. <laughs> um, or do, or got, and or win. There we go. There you go. <laughs> uh, and they have a, a larder full of frogs. There is a strong implication that they are humans who stole from the witches in the past who are to be eaten. Orwin takes a fancy to uh, Fluter and will not allow him to be turned into a frog. The witches reveal they never give anything away. They trade. Turan, seeing that they have nothing of value to offer, trades his sword for the cauldron. A storm blows up, and the heroes are transported outside. The earth shakes, and the black cauldron emerges from it. I just want to say, too, my opinion at this point was, we are just going. Like, there is so much going on, but I was also like, pixies? Witches? Yeah. We just have everything in this movie. It really, like, I know it said it's based off Welsh mythology, but it's really bringing a lot of uh, English 
like mythology of that time like even like the three witches three sisters whatever. i love their animation in the clouds by the way that's oh, such yeah. a good animation i have to say that i also got the feeling and maybe this will be in the books but i've got the feeling that there was more to them than than just being witches. yeah that's what i got too is that there was a lot going on with them yeah like that we just weren't getting because we were getting the story of the black cauldron we weren't getting the story of like them and now that i know it's based off books i'm like See, this is probably one of those where they're probably very heavily involved in the books, but this is the story of the Horned King and the Black Cauldron, so we're, like, moving past their storyline because we don't need it. Yeah. The witches, now in the form of clouds, inform the heroes that the Black Cauldron can never be destroyed, but only its evil power can be stopped. A living being must climb into the cauldron of his own free will. However, the good person shall never climb out again, uh, shall never climb out alive. They then disappear, saying that they always keep a bargain. Gurgi, in a rare burst of bravery, had agreed to jump into the cauldron, but upon hearing that he will die, his courage fails him. Later, the heroes are sitting around a fire, trying to figure out what to do with the cauldron. Dolly gets frustrated and disappears. Turan blurts out that he is nothing without a sword, but Elongli assures him that he is somebody. He just needs to believe in himself. Turan is about to reply, while Flirder and Gurgi look on with happy eyes, seeing the pair are attracted to each other. Then Turan turns to all of them, saying that they have been good friends thus far. Just then, a cry is heard. The Gwynthaths circle above their heads. They have found them. Gurgi sneaks to safety, but when the others try to make a run for it, they are stopped in their tracks by the, by the Horn King's henchmen. Gurgi looks sadly at his captured friends. Back at the Horned King's castle, Creeper orders another cart to be taken into the castle. He then taunts the three captured friends while preparing the cauldron for his master. The Horned King then enters, acknowledges the three heroes for finding the cauldron for him, then prepares them for what fate has in store for you. He picks up a dead warrior, puts it in the cauldron, and begins his great spell. The cauldron brings all the dead warriors to life in the castle, and transforms them into cauldron-born. All the Horn King's henchmen run away in fear. That's not actually true. Some of them are stabbed to death by the, by the other yeah. dead the other dead warriors. Yeah. Um, and then the other ones run away in fear. The three heroes begin to despair, as now all hope seems lost. Creeper takes his master to the tallest tower so they can get a better view of the undead leaving the castle. Meanwhile, Gurgi sneaks into the castle, evading the horrifying soldiers brought to life by the by the cauldron. He reaches Turan and the others and rescues everyone. Remembering the witch's advice, Turan makes up his mind then and there that he'll sacrifice himself to destroy the black magic. Elomwi begs him not to, but is unable to stop him. Gurgi jumps in front of him, however, and insists that he sacrifice himself instead. He walks towards the cauldron and says his final, desolate words, Turan has many friends, Gurgi has no friends. Turan tries to stop him, but Gurgi jumps into the cauldron and destroys the black magic. But, like, good riddance. Gurgi's annoying. Like, I know Gurgi is, like, the hero here, and does, but Gurgi's very annoying with the voice. And, like, I'm not into his animation style either here. I'm sorry. You know, do you know? <laughs> I know he joked that I'm, like, terrible and I have no heart, but, like, I literally was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, do, you know, do you know what Gurgi is? No. He's what they refer to as a butt monkey oh, God. In, in filmmaking. And the best example I can think of that uh, that people will know is the Minions 
mm-hmm. or the Porgs from mm-hmm. Star Wars. They're these cute little things that are... Gurgi can talk, so he's a little yeah, bit different. Yeah, I was going to say, Gurgi's problem is Gurgi speaks. Yeah, and um, so that was that's what makes him different. But it's this cute little thing that they think is going to be a marketing gold. Like, it's like, oh, man, we made these minions and they're going to be worth so much money. And we made these porks, we're going to get so much money. Like, there are these cute little things that, like, they're like, we'll make toys and everything out of them. That's what Gurgi is. That's Gurgi's whole point. I'm sure he might be a little bit different in the books. Or maybe he doesn't even exist in the books. Maybe there's a different character or something. I don't like him. I don't like the way he looks. I, I like, I don't even find him cute. Like, that's the problem. I don't mm. find him cute. Like, there's no redeeming qualities for Gurgi. I'm like, no, Gurgi's, Gurgi's kind of creepy looking to me. I don't like him. And his voice is annoying, and, like, his actions are annoying, and I'm like, oh, thank you for saving all so of right our heroes. right now, you were clapping when yeah, he sacrificed right? himself like, here. Thank you for saving everyone. <laughs> good man. Uh, like, you've done your good deed, Gurgi. Get out of the story. Outside, Creeper and the Horn King watch in shock as the undead army falls and dies. Blaming Creeper for the screw-up, the Horn King chokes his slave and decides to throw him into the cauldron to start the spell working again. Turan tells Elonwy and Fleur to leave the castle while he attempts to save Gurgi. As the king and Creeper enter the chamber, they see Turan is free. Creeper blames Turan for the incident, and the king drops him and turns in anger to the boy. You have interfered for the last time. Now, pig keeper, you shall die. He attempts to throw Turan into the cauldron, but suddenly the wind issuing from the cauldron turns on him, and he cannot escape. He screams in anger as he is violently sucked in. Once gone, Creeper begins to mourn for his master, but then realizes he is now free and will never never be throttled again and starts laughing. The cauldron sinks into the ground and the castle begins to crumble. Turan finds his friends waiting for him. They escape in a longboat as the castle explodes and falls into the water. Creeper, still laughing, flies away on a Gwynthane. Turan and his friends have just made it to shore when the cauldron rises from the water. Again, in the form of clouds, the witches reappear, decide the heroes have no more use for the cauldron, and prepare to take it back. But Fleur reminds them that they always keep to a bargain by trade. Ordu doesn't want to give up the sword, but Arda and Orwin do. Orwin gives it to Turan. Turan no longer wants the sword, but will trade it instead for Gurgi's life. Ordu deems it impossible, but when Flurder starts goading them, they take away the cauldron and the sword and leave a lifeless Gurgi in the cauldron's place. The heroes look uh, tearfully at Gurgi, and Turan picks him up to hold him, but suddenly Gurgen reaches for munchies and crunchies, and everyone is ecstatic to see him alive again. Except for Ashley. (laughs) Um, Furthermore, (laughs) Gurgi pushes Turan and Princess Eloise's heads together uh, when they were staring at each other, and they share a kiss. They all head home together. Back at the farm, Daldane, Dolly, and Henwin are all watching the heroes through a vision. They all agree that Turan did very well on his first adventure. And then you're like, what's next? Like, there's so much happened in this film, and then you get to end, and you're like... Well, what goes on? Minus Gurgi. We could have left him behind. (laughs) So I have a bit of trivia here. Uh, As I said before, Tim Burton worked on this film as a a concept artist. And it was the second Disney film that he worked on, the first being The Fox and the Hound. And in his downtime, he came up with drawing sketches for The Nightmare Before Christmas. 
And the Black Cauldron became Tim Burton's last involvement with Disney animation before he became a filmmaker in his own right. This is the first Disney hand-drawn animated film not to feature any musical numbers or characters singing. This is Walt Disney Pictures' first full-length animation motion picture to receive a PG rating from the Motion Picture Association of America. The film Once Upon a Halloween implies that the Black Cauldron takes place in the same setting as Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, but centuries earlier. I'd like to see how they work that out. I'd be interested in seeing that. That is interesting. Yeah. At Tokyo Disneyland, the former walkthrough attraction, Cinderella Castle Mystery Tour, was the only Disney attraction at the time to feature the Black Cauldron, with an audio-animatronic Horn King serving as the final encounter of the ride. That's... He needs to come around more. I agree. He's so good. Yeah. And this is the first movie not to end with Walt Disney Productions or a The End title card. And I didn't notice that until I I put these notes together, but I wouldn't have noticed it without that trivia note being there. Um, So I just have my overall score. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Or is there anything else you'd like to Uh, say? I mean, I'll go first. Okay. I... I've never seen this before, to be honest, which I think that's probably true for a lot of people. I think this is probably overlooked. I think the animation's pretty good for the most part. I mean, it's definitely darker. I definitely think there are some times in the, like, scenes where there are a lot of characters where people's eyes get a little funny here and there, and that was very odd to me and jarring, like, I noticed it, but I thought the animation was funny and good. It's weird not having any music, but, you know, that's not a bad thing. We don't need music in all of our animated movies, and I love the Horn King. He's such a good, good-looking villain, and like good for what he is. And I just, I wanted to know more. I think like we were going so quickly, but also I was like, okay, but like, what is that like? Like when they're like, oh, we're going to Morva, and they're like, Morva, and I was like, what's Morva? Like what? I feel like we were deep in a fantasy realm that like. It's not like watching Lord of the Rings where, like, you know where everything is. Like, you just inherently, like, understand what they're saying, even if, like, this is more like a, but but where are they going? Like, you want to know more about the world itself, but there's no time to build the world because this is not a fully-fledged, like, three-hour film. So, uh, and I gave it an 8 out of 10. I, I agree with you on a lot of that, especially, like, the, like, how you said literally like the world building like the literal world of it like what is what did like what did morva mean like what like 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 the characters knew but we didn't know that like lord of the rings keeps it pretty simple okay you have the shire where the especially the movies they keep it very Mm -hmm. oh here's the shire good place where the hobbits live mordor over here and then you have the stuff in between where the humans live like it's it's very simple um yeah where the elves live and everything like that but morva almost felt like a mortar to me like i should know what that is inherently without having like really seen anything like i should just know yeah is this not where the horn king is from like what's like what's like even um game of thrones keeps it simple like you know the north is where the The starks are from the wall is like it's landing yeah it's very simple not that it's not complex as well but it's much more simpler to just dive in knowing like yeah it's simple and it's generics yeah so I, we will agree on a lot. I'm, I wrote down that this was my first time watching it as well. And I have I have to say that I'm mixed. Uh, I think that if I had seen The Black Cauldron as a kid, I would have loved it. It has many of the elements I enjoy in fantasy and a solid enough plot. However, some of the animation is weird. I can't say exactly what it was, but it felt like different characters were drawn at different times by completely different artists, though they would be in the same scene together. This, for me, was most evident during the opening scene with Turan and Dalden on the farm. 
Their outlines were completely different, and they looked like characters from different movies. Just my personal opinion. The animals, creatures, witches, and the Horn King all looked awesome, but the human characters designed looked like a blending of the old Disney animation which, uh, with what was to come in the Disney Renaissance. So it just didn't really work for me. Like, I... The characters, the size of their hands were very large. Yeah. And it's like, like I said, a lot of their eyes were doing weird things here mm. and there. I don't know if you noticed, like, the gypsy dancer lady, like, her eyes, oh, like, yeah. bugged out a few times. And I was like, what I think was that, that? that? I think was that weird. was purpose, though. I think it was on purpose, yeah. but I also was like, but why did they do, like, why, why was it on purpose? Like, it was a weird thing to do here and there. I also am going to criticize the voice acting. While well cast and well performed, I'm actually, I'm criticizing the actual audio sound. The actors just sounded very echoey to me, and it wasn't the worst audio production from a Disney film, but it was far from the best. It was also unusual but enjoyable to get a Disney animated movie without a song in it, so they get credit for trying something different, in my opinion. Overall, I have to say that the plot moved so fast it left me wanting more. I'm going to listen to The Chronicles of uh, Prydane on Audible because I'm interested in these characters, but I wish we had a proper sequel or even a prequel. Rise of the Horn King, anyone? Like, you know. Yeah, like, I want to know, like, you know, how, where did he come from? Exactly. Like, also, whose sword was that, that, he, that yeah. Karen pulled they out? They say, oh, like, he, it was a great warrior it was a great warrior who built king. this like, castle who, like, and who, stuff. Like, who, though? Yeah, was it the Horned King's father? Like, what, what, what? Also, Gurgi, like, refers to Taryn quite frequently as, like, little lordling and, like, yeah. prince and Even stuff. The Horned and, King calls uh, Eloise a, a scullery maid. Like he's he's like he's the only character that makes her like she's not a princess. Everyone else calls her princess, but he's like, oh, a pig farmer, a scullery maid, and and uh, uh, a but harp like she player. calls herself a princess. Is she actually a princess? Yeah. But like other characters, like Gurky keeps made keep making references to like Taryn being like a prince or a lordling or something, and I'm like, is he? Like, yeah. is he something more than just? This guy that was working on this farm, like was his was that his father and his father's sword that was buried there, and like like know, that's what I thought. I thought yeah. that was going to come out at some point, and it didn't. And yeah. I was like, okay, maybe in the books we'll find out. <laughs> but I understand Disney didn't make uh, a sequel to this because this movie was a bomb. In fact, this almost bankrupted Disney Studios. But I think enough time has passed, and it has a large enough cult following that a sequel, prequel, or remake would do well. I suppose we'll have to wait and see what happens with the Willow series on Disney Plus before I know if they'll dip their toes into fantasy water again anytime soon. All in all, I'm giving The Black Cauldron a 6.5 out of 10. Not the best Disney animated film, but far from the worst. Anything yeah. else you'd like to say? Or? Not really. All right, well, this has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on our social media accounts, Once Again Pod, all one word, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Stiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description.